Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're reviewing one of my picks. A modern classic, and I dare anyone to say otherwise, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh yeah. I will not contest that. Um, yeah, This movie came out 17? We should know that. We should know that. It's kind of important. You, you're vamp. I'll look it up. December fourteenth, twenty eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. So one of us did know later, it. Good job. Even yes. later in the year than that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this movie was a ton of fun, and I can't wait to get into it with you guys. But first off, let's keep it one hundred. It's time to keep it one hundred. One hundred. One hundred. One hundred. All right. Well, I am first out of the gate with my Keeping 100, and this is probably a retread. I realized that after <laughs> I was looking at my notes in here, so here we go. Uh, my Keeping 100 this week is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. And this week, the... Or was it last week? Time's a flat circle, who knows? Um, but the third issue has come out now, and so we're 60% of the way through with the entire series. And the, the shape of what it is has sort of uh, unveiled itself. And so what we're doing now, I mean, this wasn't clear from the beginning, from the first issue, which is what I think I originally pitched this <laughs> a year ago. Um, but now we see that it's not just telling the last hurdle story, that it's as much flashback as it is ongoing story. And so we're finding out how there is the one turtle left. We're finding out what happened to the other three. We're finding out what happened to Splint. We're finding out what happened to Casey Jones and the rest of the crew. And it's very interesting. And for a you know, long-time turtle fan, this is actually part of the joy of it is it's Eastman and Laird reuniting in, in a sense. Uh, I don't think Laird is super day to day involved, but this is an Eastman and Laird story and to see their vision of how this was going to end and to see their vision of, of what happens ultimately to all the turtles is it's, it's really interesting and it's really fun. Uh, it's really great storytelling. The art is, I, I had no idea who these artists are. I've never seen anything drawn by them before, but it's really good. And I just love, we find out like what their vision was ultimately. I love that. Hmm. So the last round. Cool. Now, now Jamie, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this just because, so you have been uh, talking about this series on a new podcast, correct? <laughs> Nerds on a half shell. Yes. So those of you that, that listen to this podcast or if you listen to Jamie's graphically novel with his brothers, it's him and one of his other bros, um, Sam, that are doing this. And with also Jamie's daughter, who, if you've listened to our show, you've also heard Esther on our podcast. And it's been really interesting. I've, I've enjoyed listening to those, Jamie. Yeah. And Esther's having a good time. Good. And, and she's seen all the turtle movies. Mm-hmm. And she's seen like a lot of the turtle cartoon stuff. She had never read, never seen a page of a turtle comic before. Oh, cool. And so it's an interesting sort of, you know, thing. Cause Sam, Sam hadn't read a ton of IDW, IDW stuff before. 
So he's seeing a lot of that for the first time. Esther's never seen any of the Turtle comics. And so it's just an interesting sort of, everybody's coming at it from a slightly different angle. So it's it's interesting. Like it makes like, it fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, the, the things that hit her here differently than they hit me and Sam, and it's just like it's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but but I've enjoyed it. And when you all get into those early Eastman and Lair books, you know, I think that'll be kind of eye opening. Uh, Sam hates those, uh-huh. so I don't think oh, we're going are we to skipping those. Okay, okay, <laughs> don't like those. Oh, th- that is right. Sam's the art snob. Yes, so yeah. I-, I could see maybe not getting into those so much. I, th- I think we're doing every single IDW issue. They're black and white, right? Those originals. So Sam-, Sam doesn't do black and white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the hipster. He's the snob. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's great. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for the promo for the show. Not a problem. Not a problem. I, I, I knew you didn't want to toot your own horn there, but I just wanted to throw it in because since you all have been talking about Last Ronin, I thought it was worthy to mention. Awesome. Well, I'm up next, and I'm going to documentary land. Guys, I fell in a hole this week. A 1980s shaped and sized hole with all of the hairspray and all of the mullets and all of the spandex and glitter. The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years, a 1988 documentary by Penelope Spheris. Um, Part 1 kind of deals with 70s punk. Part 2 deals with 80s metal. Part 3 deals with the, the, the... 90s punk grunge kind of homeless transient uh, phenomenon that happened there. Very, very interesting. 1988, kind of the death throes of the middle era. She has interviews with Poison, Ozzy Osbourne, Aerosmith, the members of KISS, all of these 80s bands, some of which we've never heard of. Lemmy Kilmeister of Motorhead is on here. There's a lot of language, a lot of references, not really anything shocking if you know what you're getting into in this <laughs> era, but you know there's a lot of uh, you know spandex, scantily clad people, and references to drugs. Uh, but uh, it's it just took me down in a 1980s hole with the music and the era and the and the time there, and just reminded me how crazy that decade was. And that is my keeping it 100. That is probably the time that our slight age gap rears its head the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't stand 80s hair metal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and see, it was so great at a time. And then when this documentary even came out, 88, you know, it was filmed 86 and 87, released in 88. So it was filmed at the very peak and decline of that. And then released in metal's death throes, you know, with the, at that time you had, you know, Guns N' Roses released Appetite for Destruction and just really kicked everybody in the rear end, um, you know, got out of the hair metal and into the rock, you know, the, the kind of the forebearers of like a heavy grunge, heavy metal. And <clears throat> you, you really see the decadence and the, even some of the silliness and uh, audacity that it went to. And you have so many of these people sitting there and they're like, you know, in these glittery clothes and, Stuff and she's like, you know, do you have money? You're like, nope. <laughs> I was like, well, how do you get this? And like, chicks. You know, <laughs> and it's like just so weird uh, how these guys were living this lifestyle and portraying. And then you have the people who'd actually made it. You know, Aerosmith, Kiss, Ozzy Osbourne. 
you know, and they're in their homes. Uh, Paul Stanley of Kiss is laying in the bed with with four women draped all, all over him. Gene Simmons does his bit in a lingerie store. Uh, I mean, it's just insanity. Ozzy Osbourne is trying to cook breakfast <laughs> during his interview. I'm sure trying was the operative yeah, try, word. Trying is the operative <laughs> word. Uh, Chris, Chris Holmes, uh, the guitarist of Wasp, is drowning himself in a bottle of vodka in a floating lawn chair in a pool, you know, with his mom sitting on the deck, you know, beside the uh, director interviewer. Uh, very eye-opening in a lot of ways. Uh, kind of funny, kind of sad, kind of fun, but it's all there. I, I, I've always imagined Ozzy more of a baker than a cooker. <laughs> <laughs> I can say he was quite baked. <laughs> he was quite toasty. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. So let me round this out. As we all know, I've been going back through Star Trek, and this continues. And much like Chief O'Brien, I've now transferred from the Enterprise D to Deep Space Nine. So DS9 is probably, for me, the most different Trek I've watched to date. But that's not a bad thing. Um, having the majority of these stories occur on a space station uh, really is a good change of pace. And it gives you a chance to really explore characters and their motivations. Um, definitely a different feel from original series and next gen. But I so came quickly to love the characters. Odo. Uh, Quark. You know, Quark is just so great. He's hilarious. Dax, you know, and I really love Avery Brooks, Captain Benjamin Sisko. Mm. Um, this guy is like Space Denzel. All right. I mean, he's just so cool. He's level headed. He's got that touch of menace that he can take your head off in the blink of an eye. But he's such a good dad also. And I just, I love that character. Um, you know, I've always heard mixed reviews of the show. But I've been getting a lot of goodwill through the Star Trek Pod Directive podcast. So I'm now into season two, and I love how the story's progressing. So, and that's why I chose uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine as my keeping it 100. Space Denzel. Space Denzel. That's. I think we've got the title to the episode. Title now. to the episode. <laughs> Nothing to do with the movie reviewed. Space Denzel. Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, it, Avery Brooks is just like, man, this dude is cool, you know? I'm surprised you got that off season one. I thought he was kind of wishy-washy on season See, one. See, I just, immediately, there was something about him I just I just liked. I liked the way that he just kind of side-eyes people and sizes them up really quickly. Yeah, he, he's, I think, a very likable character from the get-go, but they really don't define him until later. Yeah. So you'll, you'll grow to like him even more. I when believe. he goes bald with the goatee is what I've heard. It's, it's yeah. the best Cisco. Yeah. So I'm looking forward forward to getting there yeah what bald I, bald cisco is rocker with the beard there you go <laughs> but one of the things i like best about deep space nine and star wars is still better but um is that because they're on a space station not a ship they don't get to fly away from the problem right they've got to stay there and deal yeah, with the ramifications mm-hmm. and some of the things they do early in the show come back and they have to just stay there and deal with the stuff mm-hmm. I, I love that's a different it is dynamic, and, and it's just it's it's and it's so weird. I mean, to have your your lead as a commander instead of a captain, and and I think that changes later on from what I've heard. But you know those, but that was kind of a neat twist, you know, and tying it to, um, you know, the the basically the story of Next Gen with 
Picard and the Borg and starting it there. I just thought that was a smart transition. Very smart transition. We're talking about someone whose problems came home to him. Couldn't really run away from everything come to his universe, to his dimension, into the Spider-Verse. Um, <clears throat> I'm leading off with opening thoughts and grades, and I was so probably wishy-washy on this movie the first 40 minutes that I watched it. And because I watched it in a theater around town, <clears throat> pardon me, that is synonymous for problems. <laughs> <clears throat> and, you know, there's a lot of animation styles that get blended in this movie, which is brilliant and, and really adds to the storytelling if you know that you're getting it. But I had no clue about that. I sit down and I see the things and I'm like, okay, is it supposed to be in 3D? They didn't give me the glasses. Are they having focus problems? Did somebody throw another slushie at the screen? You know, <laughs> what's going on here? And then I realized as you see the different characters emerging with their different animation styles, what they're doing. And then I fell in love with the story, fell in love with the characters and really bought in the rest of the thing. I'm not even going to lie. This is an A-plus movie. Uh, I, I can't even begin to say how many times I've seen it by choice and with the kids, you know, wanting to watch it, having it on, you know, during trips or different things through the house. But, yeah, this movie, masterfully told, masterfully animated, brilliant soundtrack. They, they, they hit a home run. Cool. All right. You know, I, I second everything that you said. And, you know, and the thing about Into the Spider-Verse for me is it, along with making its own thing, becoming its own thing, it also pays homage to all the versions of Spider-Man out there. You've got the comics, you've got the touchstones from the live action films that we see in the beginning. You know, you just, you get all of that. You get the 616 and the ultimate timelines and you get this diverse cast and it's just so amazing every time i watch this movie i'm enthralled um the great thing about it is it gets the heart of what is a good spider-man story you know no matter which spider's your favorite you know they deconstruct this in a way that you know they they tie back to stan lee and steve ditko stuff you know it can be anyone under the mask that is what makes Spider-Man appealing. You know, that's what makes him or her feel like one of us. And that's exactly what this movie does. So I'm going, going to go A-plus for my grade. Yeah, I've spoiled my pick last week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my grade, I mean, um, I, I love this movie. Um, it's edging close to my Mount Rushmore. Uh, it's edging close to like, Matrix for rewatches. Um, I just there's so much like great storytelling, just expert level storytelling, so much visual creativity, and Dwayne already hinted at it. But the the score is top notch. The musical choices, like the, the actual like songs they bring in, are great. But even just the sound design of the movie, like the sound effects, or all it's just everything is just everything is top notch. Everything works perfectly in this movie. Um, it's an A plus for me too. Um, 
I just I, I love this movie, and it's like I mean I'm really hit and miss with an, with animation, which is weird for the reasons many comic books as I do. <laughs> but uh, but this is like the one animated movie that I'm like I'm the one asking my kids if they want to rewatch it with me. Yeah, like, they're normally like, they're harassing me to watch something else with them. Like you want to watch this? Like, then I'm like, hey, let's watch Spider Verse again. Um, that's how much I love this movie, and it's just such a powerful like the the, the story is powerful, also the emotion of it just pulls you in and it makes you care about Miles so much. Yeah. Definitely. Jamie. Hey. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dot, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our fans. I'm glad we're in a big studio. You couldn't do the shoulder test. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't quite reach you there. <laughs> All oh, right, Sam, you're leading off with fans. All right. So, um, you know, we, we've already talked in our opening thoughts about some really great things about this. You know, but what I'm the biggest fan of with this movie is it proves the exception to the rule. How many times have we said there are too many villains in this movie? Think about every live action movie from Spider-Man to Batman to Green Lantern that we have talked about. This movie proves the exception. Think about it. We've got Green Goblin, Kingpin, Olivia Octavius, Tombstone, Scorpion, Prowler. And that's just the villains. Then you get into all the heroes, right? So what it does is... And I think it does so well is we don't have to have some big, huge origin for every one of these characters. We just need a cool character on the screen. And this movie gives us that just hands down. Um, so we don't all, even each of the spider people, you can just, there's enough similarity to them and something in each of them we can all attach to. So, I mean, that characterization is just so important, but with all these people, it still works. You stole my thunder a little bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we're, sorry. We're, but we're very much picking up on the same thing that we were impressed by. Uh, mine is a more specific thing they do here, mm -hmm. and it's so good. It makes me want to quit writing. <laughs> it's just so genius. The origin trick they do. Mm -hmm. so if we first meet Peter Parker, and he's like, you know, I've been Spider-Man for this many years. I've saved the world. I've done this. There was Mary Jane. I did this. And it lays it out in, what, maybe 90 seconds? Mm -hmm. And we know Spider-Man, right? And then they keep reusing it. And they reuse it when Spider-Gwen shows up, when Peter B. Parker shows up. And and every time we meet a Spider-Person, it's the shorthand, right? And like that, we catch the similarities, we, we catch the dissimilarities, mm -hmm. right? And we see the differences in their, in, their, in their part of the multiverse, what's different. And it's so quick and it's so fast, but it immediately differentiates everybody from everybody else. And it's just such a great storytelling trick. I'm like, I could never have written something like that <laughs> in a hundred years uh, but it, it's just it's it's such a great shorthand that it it, help, it helps that whole like not yeah. having a thousand characters in because the, there's yeah. what seven or eight spider people mm -hmm. 
um, by the end of this thing. No, I'm not doing math. I Six. refuse. <laughs> oh, well, I'm counting the dead one too. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no math. Um, but like, but it doesn't feel overcrowded because of that specific that that origin yeah. trick they do mm-hmm. catches us up so fast on what's different about them. I mean, it just works so well, and the and the villains are so visually interesting that we don't care. Yeah. 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 It, well, you have enough people to deal with your villains, and you have you have enough heroes to deal with your villains, and you have, you know, like you said, colorful, well-defined heroes. Um, I, I really think it was amazing the way they did the uh, Spider Noir, Spider Ham, and Penny Parker, where they blended their origin all together because you were kind of tired when you got. The original Spider-Man, Spider-B Parker, you know, or I mean, Peter B. Parker and, and Spider-Gwen. You're like, okay, are they really going to do this again? And then they blended the three and you're like, okay, keep, you're just keeping up. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and you still gather so much from that. That's very, very masterfully done. Yeah. I mean, think about it. This is what, a 90 minute movie? Mm-hmm. It's quick. With tons of characters. Yeah. And it works. It doesn't feel overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, and I guess my uh, fan kind of goes along with that too. Is is I like the intelligence that the movie portrays. I mean, you're talking about you know multiverses. You're talking about different dimensions, and it doesn't make you feel dumb or feel make you feel like you're being you know lectured to about it. They they drop it in a way, and you see it in a way where you're like, oh, I understand what's happening. I get what's going on. The way that they explain it to you they give the watcher enough credit to know we can understand a well-told story right and it's it's a masterfully told story you know but like so they're getting into physics string theory you know multiverses you know all of this stuff you know really is great there's even a time relativity joke yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah exactly you know, time relativity. and uh, you know one thing i do want to mention before we move on is this like you said? Even in our opening thoughts, series, is the sound design? Yeah, I mean, how cool is the Prowler's? Uh, you know, oh yeah, squall horn, squall, You know, they yeah. just and you're like, oh, junk's happening. You know, here here comes the fan. You know, <laughs> here comes the oh yeah, all the crap's hitting the fan there. But I mean, this movie is brilliantly visual and sounds just as amazing. Yep. Okay, um, Dwayne gave me the hand signal for a segue. I don't have one, so let's do the pan seg- seg- section anyway. <laughs> you look like you look like you're going to say something. <laughs> All right, Jamie, will you lead off with fan or fans? Okay, mine. My pan is is kind of a sideways fan. Um, I love that in the backgrounds, there's all the different stuff to clue you in that like that Miles' world is not our world because Peter B. Parker is the hobo Spider-Man. It's from our it's from our world, right? Because it's NYPD there, and they've got Steph Curry's a basketball player on the on the on the, all the and it's Coca Cola, not Coca Soda, you know. Mm-hmm. All, so I, so I love that the sweet spectacular Spider-Man is our Spider-Man. That we get him, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I get I get distracted. Like looking at all the backgrounds to see what's different, because mm-hmm. like in, in Miles's universe, uh, Steph Curry is on a background. He's a golfer, and I think there's one. I think it's uh, Spider Gwen. I think maybe he's like a 
uh, like a, a jockey or something. <laughs> I forget. But but I, I get I get lost in the background. Like okay okay which which one has like NYPD? Which one has PDNY? Which one has Coca Cola? Which one has Coca? So it's all that stuff in the background. I think there's like a Billy Crystal. I think he's the jockey. There's a Billy Crystal as a jockey in the background on a Times Square mm-hmm. thing. There's just so much going on. It's I get distracted. Like I have to remind myself, go nope, stay in the story. Don't worry about the multiverse <laughs> stuff. Because but there's so much of that little creative just details they didn't have to do. Um, like, like I said, it's a, it's a sideways fan. Like, it, it's impressive, but it's, it can be distracting. It may not probably just me being weird, but I, I get distracted by the background sometimes. It's a lot of detail. Yeah. Now I'm gonna have to rewatch it just to pay attention to the backgrounds more. Times Square. <laughs> I mean, you you could go frame by frame through the Times Square scenes. There's so much going on, and you could watch like the when the ta- every time a taxi drives by, there's something on top of the taxi that's different that show that like this is a different world mm-hmm. than ours. Mm-hmm. It, there's so much. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't have a, I really could not find a pen. I, I thought, and even as we're talking here, I was the, the, the pen, and I had wrote down, you know, like maybe the other spider people are, you know, more like background dancers and characters, you know, you, you have, cause you have the, the prime three is a focus, you know, spider Gwen, Miles Morales and Peter B. Parker. And then, you know, spider Nora, spider ham and Penny Parker just kind of hanging in the background a little bit. That's really not even a pen because, you know, we even get, you know, good origin stories and things with it, but I really don't have anything. I mean, this movie's, yeah, I'm good. All right. So I don't have a huge pan. Okay. I really don't. This is one of the small little frying pans for a single egg. Okay. It's that kind of pan. <laughs> um, you know, because face it, th- this is probably one of the best constructed hero dramas that's out there. And I really can't wait for the sequel. Because uh, they're packing even more people in it. So we'll see. But this is an issue I've had. And once again, this goes all the way back to my nerdy roots. Going all the way back to things like Spider-Man, the animated series. Uh, in the 80s, even Frank Miller's Daredevil run. I always feel like they overpower Kingpin. I get he's tough. I get he's a big dude. But you've really got to suspend belief of what the way they've got him designed in this movie of what he's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal in the Netflix Daredevil was about the best portrayal I've ever seen of that kind of character. But they've done this. You know, they've done this in comics. They always overpower Kingpin and they make him like, you know, he could take on Galactus. He's so awesome, you know, kind of deal. So once again, they did it here. So I guess it's tradition. (laughs) So. I think that's why they animated the way they did. Because mm-hmm. if it may make him look so inhuman, then it's not as weird to see him like fight the spider people. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but like I said, you, you, you it s- doesn't make any sense. You see it all the way back. You know, uh, Spider-Man is amazing friends. You know, Kingpin's like beating up Captain America. You know, and it's like, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember one of my favorite old Captain America issues because I was the weird kid that liked the, the non-popular comics. But yeah. uh, there was an issue where like, I don't know why the Red School was in the drug gang, but he was he was he was muscling in on Kingpin's like turf in New York, and so they set up this big like showdown thing where Kingpin fought the Red School and won. Well, at that point of the comics, Red School had a super soldier serum in him. He mm-hmm. was there's that shouldn't have been a thing. They they keep doing that, right? And I think that's why they animate him and draw him the way they do, so it it makes it less eye rolling, right? Yeah. Interesting. 
Well, we've talked enough love about this movie. Let's just go ahead and give us some awards. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alrighty, I'm up with Best Performance. Um... Shamik Moore, Miles Morales. Never heard of this cat before. Not really familiar with the Morales Spider-Man. Know it's a thing. Know he's really popular. Love the design of the suit. He really makes you care for this kid. He really shows you that heart of you know this this young smart kid trying to fit in, not feeling worthy, not you know wanting to stand out but then becoming this hero, going on that journey uh, that he takes from, you know, awkward, not really knowing what puberty is, (laughs) according to Gwen, um, you know, uh, to being the hero, you know, and, and even his interactions with his dad, the officer at the end. You know, he, he he runs and hugs him. He's like, okay, you know, what's this Spider-Man doing hugging me? He's like, thank you, sir, you know, <laughs> and trying to do the voice. And just and he's like, I love you, you know. And he's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, just that awkward, you know. And, and it shows that he's still a kid. Mm-hmm. He's still a kid, but he's the Spider-Man. And how he, he rises to that greatness. I mean, his, his journey and his portrayal on that journey it just sucks me in every single time. Every time I watch this movie, I make maybe it's puberty jokes for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think you know what puberty is. (laughs) All right. So, um, you know, though I agree, you know, Miles is the heart of this movie. But I think we have an actor that really finally found a great place for his acting style. And that's Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Okay, we know Nick Cage is over the top. I'm sorry, go back for any role from Moonstruck to Ghost Rider. The man is over the top. He overacts. That's just his style. That timbre, that dialogue delivery works so well for Spider-Man Noir, though. That old school Hollywood of all the gin joints and all the world, you know, kind of feel. It just works so well for the type of actor he is. And, and and then the the fact they loved his Rubik's cube. I mean, come on, is it purple? <laughs> <laughs> I will figure this out. When you live in a black and white world, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did truly though have that timbre and uh, and attitude. Yeah. in his voice, he portrayed that perfectly. You know, and you know, he's from a a, a long line. You know, he's 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 a Coppola. Yeah, you know, uh, true and true. So he you know has that pedigree. The classic Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it shows. Um, <laughs> oh, I've got a tie. I was hoping you take one of them. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Brian Tyree Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the voice of Jefferson Davis, Miles' dad. dad yeah. yep. And it's it's not the biggest role in the movie, but he absolutely nails it. I mean, you can just, just from the voice, the voice acting, you can feel the estrangement with him and his brother. Um, you can you can you can hear you can feel him struggling 
to love his kid. And his kid's going through the awkward phase. He doesn't know how to love him. He doesn't know what his kid needs, but he's trying. He's doing his best. He believes in him and he loves him, but he's also, you know, got what, a 13, 14-year-old kid? I mean, there's going to be moments, you know? <laughs> and, and he's struggling to be a dad to him. And you just, and it's just such a great vocal performance. And my, uh, my tie was, my, I can't say his name, Mahershala Ali. Mm-hmm. Play Uncle Aaron. He was so good. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Tell me you love me. <laughs> love it. Yeah. yeah Jamie, oh, that's something I can see you doing to your girls. 100%. <laughs> but I did love that dynamic, you know, where his his heart is out there. You know, he's he's throwing it all wrong, but his heart's out there. Yeah. You know, and his kid being, you know, kind of artistic and, you know, doing the graffiti and you know, throwing up the stickers, tagging things, you know, and him being the cop and, not, you know, he's calling him out on it, but he's not being too hard on him. You know, that's that's a beautiful balance on screen, I think. And at the end, like, he's still trying to support him. He's like, you know, we, we can find a wall owned by the police. He's reaching out, you know. he's still It's still awkward, but he's, he's trying. He's working, yeah. working on it. Yep. <laughs> Love it. All right, guys. So I guess next award is best scene. Um, you know, we talk about this a lot. I'm not sure if this is the best scene or it's the scene where I, as the long-term comic fan, was immediately hooked. And that was really straight from the beginning. The battle between our blonde Peter Parker and the Green Goblin. Um, that battle in terms of choreography, pacing, it worked so well. I love that we got this amalgam of the classic uh, Ditko Norman with his hat and his pumpkin bombs, but then we also got the grotesque goblin from uh, Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man. I love the fact that they mashed those two together, um, and I think it's important for you know our blonde Peter Parker because that's what gives us that contrast with Peter B. Parker. So Chris Pine's Parker versus Jake Johnson's. You know, we get a nice contrast. We appreciate Peter B. a little bit more as he goes through his arc, I think. So from that battle scene to me was extremely an important scene. Uh, my, mine is the one that, uh, it, it's almost like the end of Rudy. Um, I, I get emotional because like, it's, like, it's, it's not like sad emotional, but like the inspirational emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure somebody listening to this podcast has seen that sports ball movie, Rudy. Um, but from the moment when Miles figures it out, that's what I call it, the Miles figuring it out portion of the movie. When he's in the chair, he's webbed in, and he figures out how to do the Venom Blast on command, and he gets himself loose, and he goes to the, <laughs> the spider shed. <laughs> yeah, I keep my spider stuff out there. I got one like that. So pretentious. Um, but from the second he Venom Blasts the chair to the point where he's jumping off the building, where Miles has completely figured out the Spider-Man thing. I I love every bit of that. Just to see this this kid has been so uncertain and insecure and struggling to stop struggling and really, you know, be Spider Man. It's such a, such a powerful you know set of scenes. I'm cheating, but um, I love it. Yeah. Well, and, okay. So so Rudy, is that the one with Samwise Gamgee? Yes. Okay. No. 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 That's the kid from the Goonies. <laughs> oh, that's the kid from the Goonies. Okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But, you know, what's also funny about when he goes to the spider shed is is you get, like, secret agent Aunt May sitting there, you know, knitting, going, why did it take you so long? (laughs) You know, it was like, 
Alfred Pennyworth meets Aunt May in this universe. So yeah, she I really was quite different. Yeah, she, yeah, Aunt May was great. voiced by Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, yeah, yes. yeah. great, great uh, classic actress there. Yeah, wonderful comedic actress. If you ever seen her in anything, she's hilarious. <clears throat> Jamie, thank you for picking um, Uncle Aaron on there because that clears my tie off. Uh, I can I can at least settle for him having best performance, uh, best character. He was a tie with Peter B. Parker. I loved Uncle Aaron's coolness and his dichotomy of, of roles in this movie. But I love Peter B. Parker because he's figured it out. He's having to re-figure it out. You know, he's he's been on top. He's fallen. He's seeing some new potential here. He's he's realizing, you know, he can he can rise to it. And that's that's my favorite character. It's Peter B. Parker, Jake Johnson, as as you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I love that, you know, we don't have a hero that is perfect. You know, we don't have a hero who's trying to figure it out from the beginning. We have a hero who's been there and trying to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great uh, angle on this, too. All right, did, did you give your best scene? Did I give my best scene? I think you skipped. Uh, I skipped my best scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> I, need to know, I need to know what your best scene is. <clears throat> well, my best scene. I don't know why I was so confused there. I was just so excited that, that you're taking <laughs> one of my things there. Um, okay. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me rewind here. Best scene. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Here I'm derailing us horribly. Get your pencil out. Start rewinding it. Turn that cassette back. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, there we go. Everybody knows Roman now. <laughs> Best scene. I love the final battle. The final battle, like you said, where Miles has figured it out. He's He's got all of his functionality he can turn invisible he can do the shock he can shoot the webs he can swing he can punch kick and you have all these other spider people firing on all cylinders you know spider ham dropping the anvil with the hammer (laughs) and the various stuff you know um nicholas cage standing you know spider noir standing in the wind that is always present you know uh, spider gwen just being cool you know penny and the robot how cool is that you know, seeing that in action, but they're all firing on all cylinders and they're making stuff happen. And then when the collider starts, you know, working to bring them home and you're having those emotional hits, you know, see ya, see ya, see ya. And then, you know, I'm not going to go to the last one. It'll spoil something a little bit later for me, but I love that balance. It's, it's, you know, you see them at their peak. Uh, and we'll jump back to no, best we'll character. Back now. to Mr. <laughs> Jamie, best character. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of doing the same rules here. I'm dividing. You know, divide and conquer. Yeah. Uh, Miles, Shamik Moore does a great job with the vocal performance. But So I, I, I could have given him the award there, but I, I wanted to give him best character. Um, he's just such a great kid. And he's so you can identify with him so easily. I mean, it was 100 years ago, but I mean, I remember the teenage years being awkward. And difficult, and you know, figuring out who you are, who you're going to be, um, and it's just such a powerful reminder of of what that time was like. And it's and he's such just such a good kid that you root for him, you know. Such, and uh, they just get you on his side so fast. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sorry I messed up mine, or I would have jumped in right here. But you know, it's a puberty thing. So Sam. <laughs> <go ahead. laughs> 
Well, the bad thing, Jamie, is at our age now, we're ready for a midlife crisis. So we're all, we're still trying to figure out who we are, right? <laughs> well, now now we're all Peter B. Parker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I have the sweatpants to prove it. We're all a different uh, shape. <laughs> Just dimensional warping. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, best character for me, um, Olivia Octavius, mm-hmm. uh, voiced by the great Catherine Hahn. Um, you know, not only do we get that quirky line delivery that only Catherine Hahn could bring to us, we also get this new twist on a classic Dr. Octopus. And Liv works just so well within the story that we have. You get these fun interactions with, with her and Peter B. Parker. Uh, you get that, that her reveal. I love her reveal in this. Um, and honestly, even in the Spider-Verse, it's Agatha all along. <laughs> you beat me to it. I had an Agatha <laughs> joke ready. Way, that was way too. <laughs> Cocked and loaded. <laughs> like Catherine Hahn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, next up is best quote. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and finish up the best scene that in there where, you know, Peter B. Parker is ready to sacrifice himself to save everything. But, you know, Miles is sending him back home. And he says, how will I know I'm not going to mess it all up again? And Miles says, you, you won't. Yeah, you don't know. You just have to do. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite quote. Yeah. There's so many good ones in this thing I had a hard time picking. I've got a little list here. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, I've got yeah. a list here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, had, I had two down. Um, you know, so as, as far as quote, you know, we've talked a lot about the spiders and we've talked a lot about the, the villains. So I really thought Mary Jane needed a nod. Uh, you know, Mary Jane, Parker, Watson, either way, is such an important part of the Spider-Man mythology. And when she was kind of doing the eulogy, uh, when she was talking to the, the crowd, and she says, my favorite thing about Pete is that he made each of us feel powerful. We all have powers of one kind or another, but in our own way, we are all Spider-Man, and we are all counting on you. And I just thought that, you know, like I said, it goes back to that idea that we're all Spider-Man, right? Could be anybody underneath the mask. So mm-hmm. I just, I love that line. And that scene ends so funny because, like Miles, like they're counting on me, and the guy leans over <laughs> and she means it metaphorically, he and you know, <laughs> yeah. not, not, you, not you specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, mine is a it's a dumb little you, you you can miss it if you're not paying attention but it makes me laugh so hard every time but it's when miles has just met peter b parker and he's been knocked out and the police are calling it in <laughs> describing what they're chasing it's a child dressed in a spider-man costume dragging a homeless corpse, corpse. behind a train <laughs> There's all kinds of little gold nuggets like that. Oh. Yeah. You you had mentioned the one, Dwayne, about from Spider-Man Noir about the wind. The wind. I love that one. Well, for bringing out extras, I've got a a Spider-Man Noir one Uh, that I love. It's his little comeback. I think he's fighting the scorpion at the time. He says, is that all you got? You're going to fight or are you just bumping gums? You're hard-boiled turtle slapper. (laughs) (laughs) What is he even saying? What even is that? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like the scene in uh, Austin Powers when he's speaking with uh, Michael Caine and there's translation at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is he even saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to bring one more to uh, Nicolas Cage, uh, the Spider-Noir. You know, when Aunt May says, take this outside. He says, we don't choose the ballroom. We just dance. <laughs> They gave Nicholas Cage some good ones to work with. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that line. Too. Yeah, there's some brilliant dialogue all through here. I mean, hilarious and heartfelt. You know, you can really take some messages mm-hmm. through here, and you can have some great, great laughs. Well, now we're moving on to our episode-specific awards. Sam, what is the best alternate universe spider being? Oh, that has to be... And I'm glad you used Spider Bing because mine is Spider Ham. Um, this is probably, to me, one of the most awesome uses of a Spider Bing in this movie. I mean, Peter Porker. I mean, that Looney Tune, Mary Melody, slapstick comedy style was so perfect. Uh, I want a Disney Plus series that explores this world. Mm-hmm. I want Peter Porker. I want Captain America, Hulk Bunny, Goose Rider. Give me it all, okay? Um, and I love it. And, and here's where I sneak in another quote. When he leaves at the end and says, that's all, folks. <laughs> and <laughs> Peter B. Parker's like, can he legally say that? <laughs> I laugh so hard. Uh, my, my favorite is, is not one of the... I want to just say... Spider-Man 2099 at the end. But he's only there for like a second. Um, I love Miguel. He's still my favorite. But Miles is Miles is close. He's the next favorite Spider mm-hmm. comic book character. But I love Peter B. Parker. I mean, just the rundown hobo, broken, you know, <laughs> out of shape Spider-Man. <laughs> Working hard, doing crunches. <laughs> See, pizza, you know, just, but I, I love that, you know, how, how just... And clearly depressed the man is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then over the course of interacting with Miles, Miles gives him hope again, gives him encouragement again. And Miles is, is inspiring him. And by the end of it, he's connected with Miles and it's changed him. Um, and he's, he's given him the courage to face his, the, the real challenge of his life to go back and, you know, try to reunite with, with Mary Jane. And so I, I love Peter B. Parker. <laughs> I love all of the dad bod jokes. Yes. I love the, the point X-Men sweatpants. And Spider Gwen is like, yes, yep. yes, they are. <laughs> just, yeah. Everything with Peter E. Parker just works. I mean, even the little moment on the back of the bus mm-hmm. when Miles is telling him, like, oh, yeah, he broke it. He's like talking about it, though. And he's just smiling in the back. Yeah, he's laying there pretending to sleep. Yeah, yeah. just there's a lot of good little moments for Peter E. Parker. Yeah, yeah he was he was a, a great character. There's so many good characters in here. Uh, I thought Spider Gwen was pretty interesting. Um, just a cool character, but I need more of Penny Parker and that robot. I need to know that story. That's that's what I really uh, am intrigued by. Just because she she wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider or a radioactive pig. <laughs> she has a psychic bond with a spider who lives in a robot, mm-hmm. and she gets in and drives it sometimes, which is really a a different neat take on that. And uh, and I would like to see that dynamic and. Uh, in her little bit of the world uh, that, that she lives in, and you know the, the anime style is something that I'm growing to uh, to, to enjoy to get into uh, being exposed to uh, a little bit more anime stuff with my kids, uh, getting into some things. Um, I'm, I'm kind of digging that. 
I just need I need to know more. Now she's from the Marvel manga line, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would love to see down the road and bring in Cepeda Man. Oh yeah, and have Penny and her robot team up with him and his robot. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be. I think that would work good for animation too. Mm-hmm. I think that would be visually interesting. Hmm. You ever seen the Japanese Spider-Man TV show? Mm-mm. Nope. Oh, we we have to look at that when we're done recording. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a whole thing. So it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Big time. It's a thing. <laughs> this was during that time Stan was trying to ship Marvel all over the world. Well, and you know, Spidey was the poster boy. Oh yeah. Basically, it's. I, we'll just have to show you. <laughs> it's not. It's it's a Spider-Man only in the costume only. It, it rested that it's just a Japanese a TV Japanese. show. There's mm-hmm. like a robot. I mean, there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Hey, we we did get, at least get the spider buggy in this. It's true in this movie. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I love all of the vehicles in the thing. Yeah. All right. Well, our last award of the week is best animation creativity, and there's a lot to choose from here. This is a very visually interesting movie. Um, mine is a weird one. It's my favorite. <laughs> Credits ever. I love the. I if I usually I fast forward through the credits to see a, the post credit scene. But I never do because there's so much going on there. Like you're all the different costumes and all the things they're doing with all of the spider people and the way they would switch mm-hmm. rapid. Like even like when they're on on the set with the uh, with the when they're playing musical instruments, they rapidly go through that. And then there's the scene where they're you know they're around the campfire and then they're they're cooking you know Peter Porker. Then it switches suddenly. And they're, and they're a bunch of spider hands cooking Peter. You know it's <laughs> but they're just and it's it's so just eye catch. I can't look away from that. And it's just the credits. Yeah. You know yeah. they put so much creativity into even that, mm-hmm. and it's just visually just captivating. And, yeah, that's a, and that's the first and last time I will call out the credits <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I totally go with you as far as the designs, you know, because they have these striking designs in terms of this animation creativity, but they're also mashing together all of these different styles of animation. You know, it's not just a love letter to Spider-Man and that history. It this is this is animation history. It's cultural context. Mm-hmm. It's Chuck Jones mixed with anime, mixed with Banksy style graffiti art. Uh, even in the way, you know, I think Dwayne had mentioned Miles' costume. You know, the graffiti art on the Spider-Man costume with classic Air Jordans. You know, it's those types of things that are just so eye-catching. And when you mash them together and when you have all the spider, you know, spider beings in the same room together and you look at all the different animation styles, it's just, like I said, it just amazes me to look at this and to see what you can do in graphic storytelling in an animation style to reflect so many different walks of life. Mm -hmm. That That was my backup. Yeah. 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 That's, that's mine entirely. You know, they were bold enough to blend all of the styles and make it work even in the same scene, even in scenes where you don't have the other characters. I mean, you still have like elements of 3d working its way in there. You know, you have kind of like the backer shading. I would love to put on some glasses, maybe on a big 4k TV and watch this and to see if stuff does actually pop out, you know, if, if it was actually, if it actually works on that three dimensional level uh, with the animation, I love that they, you know, you have this this classic 2D Looney Tunes style animation sitting beside this, you know, three-dimensional, you know, beyond Pixar. 
looking thing. You have maybe like like the little bit of the DreamWorks style animation in there. You have you know the different shades of that and how they all work so seamlessly together. You have a black and white character functioning in a fully <laughs> colored world, you mm-hmm. know, um, and and he works. He's cool, you know. He, there's there's a wind from somewhere, you know, and you just <laughs> accept it because that's his character. You have this anime robot beside of this Looney Tunes character fighting with a giant mallet he got out of his pocket. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it shouldn't work, mm-hmm. but it does. And, you know, even when Miles is going through and flipping, you see the certain times they'll say, thwack, you know, come out of his wrist or bang or, pow, you know, and he'll run. And as, you know, uh, Post Malone is singing in the background, you'll see the words going by on the cars or on the street and in the windows come you know it is so bold and beautiful you know and the last time we seen those was what well, baby driver you know you had the things happen in the intro but anyway you know we can always talk about that maybe any chance i get but <laughs> well I, I did before we do what i think you were doing um I, I one thing i do want to mention is that they tried really hard to give this thing a comic book feel yeah mm-hmm. even like some of the stuff that makes it look like you know you're watching a 3d without the glasses like it's Aping the old yeah. like offset printing, like well, the yeah, printing you even see states. some of the, yeah. you even see some of like the the, the, the dots, like the, the yeah. dot matrix printing. Yeah. You got the, the what's called zip tone, and that was the zip tone they would cut out and actually paste onto the comic book pages to yeah. create those dots. And you know later on, uh, Lichtenstein and Warhol would use that type of thing when they were kind of creating the pop art movement. I mean, that all came from techniques that comic book artists had been doing for years. But even like the, uh, they filmed this in a normal frame rate and it didn't look right. And, and to make it feel more comic, they actually slowed the frame rate down mm-hmm. like yeah. a lot. And they, even if you go back and watch and keep an eye out for it, you'll notice like they don't move the most an- animated things do. Like it's a, it's, it feels different. It makes it, gives it kind of a comic book feel to it. Even, even that, the slower yeah. frame well, rate. I mean, even, you know, with the, with the, the frame rate happening, uh, you know, anim- speaking about animation styles, that was a, a thing with filmation animation back in the day they they uh, animated it like a i think it was an 18 to 21 rate you know normally you have a 24 frame rate per second you know, they filmed like 18 to 24 so you know you kind of have almost a jerkyish little you know kind of a weird and it works with that style of animation and it works with the blending of these styles of mm-hmm. animation you know even when you're bringing the comic book backgrounds the the anime the the 3d stuff the, the cartoony stuff you know it, it, it shouldn't work, yeah. but it does. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't work, but it does. We know an actor that gets a lot of work. A lot of work. Um, just found out in some DC properties coming out. Um, animated nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Our beloved Keanu Reeves is not a spider person. Jamie thinks he may be an immortal. Maybe it's not an just eternal. Me. <laughs> But he has to fit in this verse. What verse of the Spider-Verse does Archeanu fit, Mr. Jamie? In every single one. And there are no changes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, this, this week's Keanu Connection, um, I think, embodies something that is, you know, I think it's evident in this movie we, we watched. It's people, you know, transitioning, um, leveling up, growing. Um, and so this, this, this person began their work uh, in Hollywood as a storyboard artist. Um, and I went and checked, no comic book work. And a lot of storyboard artists mm-hmm. have done comic book work, mm-hmm. came from comics or go to comics. Never, yeah. never has. Um, but he had an amazing run as a storyboard artist. Uh, Hulk, Minority Report, 
Panic Room, Castaway, Fight Club, Being John Malkovich, Godzilla, Men in Black, Independence Day, Predator 2, which is a good movie. I don't care what he says. Um, <laughs> I will defend it. Um, so, but he had this long run of working on, you know, pretty big, you know, projects of being like the storyboard artist. But he wasn't the storyboard artist on, um, on Spider-Verse. Like Miles, he had labeled up. He had figured it all out, put it all together. And so Peter Ramsey was one of three co-directors on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's one of his first directing movies. I think, I think he did Rise of the Guardians and then Spider-Verse. Only things he's directed. So he's, he's like Miles. He's progressing. He's leveling up. Um, but way back, even before he was the super storyboard artist, he worked as an illustrator on Dracula, starring our beloved Keanu. Peter Ramsey is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> All right. God will love the Dracula callback. Oh, I've used Dracula so many times. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a emerging into a gift territory. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula and Toy Story 4, my crutches. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, well, with Keanu being a Nexus being, he should fit anywhere, right? Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as much as we enjoy watching it, apparently, and talking about it. Um, it was a blast to view and a blast to discuss here with my host. Uh, if you are a fan of the podcast, please let let some friends know. Spread the word around. We... Uh, we love to talk and be nerdy about stuff. And the more people we can include in the party, the better. But next week, my fellows, Jamie, you've picked us. No, Sammy mm-hmm. has picked us. Okay. Yes, sir. What do we have, Sammy? Well, back when we were doing our New Year's watch list, John Carpenter's The Thing was on mine. I've never seen the original version of this. Okay. Or at least the John Carpenter version. So we've had our run of hero movies. Now we're going to back to some sci-fi horror. Uh, back to 1982 with Jamie's probably maybe favorite 80s action star. Because Idris Elba wasn't in there yet. <laughs> Kurt Russell. That's so. what confused me. That's why I thought it was Jamie's. I knew. <laughs> That's what threw me. <laughs> uh, also, not to mention Wilford Brimley before he started doing the diabetes commercials. You know, so, you know, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, John Carpenter's The Thing will be next week's quest, gentlemen. Yeah, you're not crazy to assume a movie starring Kurt Russell directed by John Carpenter was picked by me. You're not nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah that's, that has to be what threw me. I knew, I knew Kurt Russell was in here, and I knew that what, what a fan he was. Well, as Wilford Brimley uh, sets at the... Uh, Arctic Circle with a bowl of Quaker Oats. Jamie, what are we going to do to our next episode? We're going to remain deeply suspicious of each other as we keep it nerdy. It would be nice if I had my timer ready.
This is great podcasting, guys. It, it's what, not do you, like what, do you, we, what do you think I'm doing? It's not like we do this every week, guys. I mean, come on. 